again, I'll just point out that the, ver- the text specifically is verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our text this morning is a beautiful statement of faith. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, the power of the grave, for he will receive me. It's not as well known as other statements of faith in the Bible, perhaps because it's tucked away in the middle of this lesser-known psalm. And here we have one of the best summaries of the gospel of Christ. God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. This is why I also chose this statement as a theme for the sermon this morning. The statement of faith is placed in the context of a call to wisdom. This psalm describes for us a futile life of those who do not know Christ, of those who do not know God. And in Psalm 49, the Holy Spirit, He calls us to live wisely. Live wisely in this life with the reality of death in this world. He also calls us to live by faith in God's redeeming grace. And so, as I preach you God's Word this morning, I'll do so under the following theme. God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. We'll look at two things. First of all, living wisely with the reality of death, death in this world. And second, living by faith in the face of death. Now, at the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 49, we, <clears throat> we hear a call of wisdom go out to us. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the earth, both low and high, rich and poor together. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. These words are for you. It doesn't matter what you have or how old you are. You need to hear this. So the call of wisdom goes out to every single one of us here this morning, and everyone on earth. To help us live a life of wisdom, we first need to understand a life of folly. We need to understand foolishness. That's what this, this, this psalm describes so clearly in its verses. It describes a way of living that is so easy for us to fall into. And ultimately, it's a question of, what are you living for? What are you living for? Psalm 49 describes the foolishness of focusing our attention only on this life. Foolishness of making life's goal simply to gain wealth. That's what so many people do. In fact, that's pretty much what everyone who does not know God is doing. So many people are living only to get more money, to get more power, 
to get more possessions, to get more pleasure. And they put away, they shove aside any sense of eternity or life after death. Well, look at how the Holy Spirit shows us here the foolishness of that way of life. No matter how much money or stuff or power a person may get in life, death will take it all away. See, death is the great leveler, we could, we could say. It puts everyone on the same plane. You may get more money than most, but you're still going to die. You may have more friends than others, but they can't keep you alive. You may gain lots of earthly power, but that earthly power cannot overcome the grave. Listen to how this psalm describes it. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. So a person had lots of money in life. Now they're dead. What are they going to do? can't buy your way out of the grave. As we read here, the wise people die, but so do the foolish alike. They all must perish together. And then what? They leave their wealth for others. And it says their graves are their home forever. I believe it was John Piper who pointed out there there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Think about that. You know, when was the last time you saw a moving van at the front of a funeral procession? Well, I'm sure you never have. Doesn't happen. And that's why it's foolish to have a a this-world-only perspective on life. Why make it your goal only to gain more money, fame, power? As the Lord Jesus himself taught us, what good is it if a person gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? People can sort of see this, but it doesn't really change them. Listen to the message of verse 13. Though people put foolish confidence in things like their wealth, and still end up in the grave, still after them come people who approve of their boasting, approve of their way of life, and said it was the good life. Or listen to verse 18, while he lives, the rich, powerful man, he counts himself blessed. And others, they exclaim, wow, you're, you're doing well for yourself. You hear that from time to time, Someone has a booming business, maybe a huge cash flow, and others remark, well, he sure does well for himself. While I was making this sermon this week, I couldn't help but think of one of the world's greatest soccer players, Lionel Messi. Recently, a new contract couldn't be worked out with his longtime club of Barcelona. So Paris Saint-Germain swooped in and signed Messi to a two-year contract. 
And Messi will make a cool 35 million euros annually on top of millions in signing bonuses, not to mention the many more millions from a cut of things like jersey sales and the like. 35 million euros every year. That's just his base salary. But none of this is even, even comes close to what he made in his previous contract with Barcelona. In other words, people might remark, Lionel Messi, he sure does well for himself in life. And many might want what he has. So it's so easy to adopt this mindset that whoever has the most in life wins. I think also for the younger members among us, it's so easy to break out of this mindset of this life only. When you have most of your earthly life ahead of you, your mind might be dominated simply by getting more. But God in this psalm is calling us to change our perspective. Instead, live life from an eternal perspective. Move your eyes beyond the horizon of the grave. See what comes afterward, which is forever. And live wisely in this life with the reality of death. And we'll see how this is possible in our, in our second point. So again, the, the main focus here is on verse 15. As I said before, it feels almost hidden away in this psalm. You can easily read over these words. But it's the good news of Christ in a nutshell. God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, the power of the grave, for he will receive me. And these words form a contrast with an earlier part of the psalm. Listen to verses 7 to 9 again. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Well, perhaps you've been in a financial jam before. Your cash flow is low, but your bills are high. You need someone to help you out. Thankfully, you have a rich family member who is willing to give you some money. But no one can do that when it comes to death. The cost to overcome the grave is too high. No one can ever pay the price to give you your life back. Notice how this psalm uses the word ransom. A ransom price. To ransom someone is to, is to buy them back. Think for a moment of a, of a kidnapping uh, scenario. Perhaps you've read a book or seen a movie where, where criminals, they kidnap the child of a rich person. And then the criminals, they contact the family demanding a ransom price for the child. If you want to get your child back, you have to pay this price or they will die. And certainly the, the cost might be high, but if the family pays a ransom price to get the child back, he is not killed. The grave, as it were, captures us in the same way. It holds us in its grip, and the only way out is if the ransom price is paid. The problem is the price is too high for you and for me to pay. 
here we confess in our text, God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. It's too high for us, but God can pay the price. And what an extremely high price God had to pay, but was willing to pay for you and for me. God had to give up what was most precious to Him in order to ransom us, to buy us back. He gave up His only Son, having Him put to death on a cross, to purchase you, to purchase me. He went even so far as pouring out His own wrath on His Son, the wretch, the wrath which should have been directed to us. This is the generosity of your God, the extreme generosity. He spared no expense. We see a picture of this in the Lord's Supper this morning. On this table, yes, we have bread and wine, but with the eyes of faith, we're called to see more. The eyes of faith, we see the broken body and blood of Christ. That's what the bread and wine are pointing us to. And when you see the the body and blood of Christ this morning through the Lord's Supper, you see the high price God the Father paid to ransom us. It's the pure grace of God. Think of, the, think of the kidnapping illustration again. If parents ransom their child from the criminals, what are they doing? They are paying their enemies a price to gain back their child. But think now what God did. The ransom price He paid was His own child, and whom did He buy back through His ransom? He bought His enemy. seems mind-blowingly backwards, but that's the wonder of God's grace to us, giving up His Son to buy back His enemies, for that is what we were. And this is what Romans 5 drives home for us when it says God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son brings to mind the words of a well-known song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. And what love of Christ also. He had to pay the price. Think of verse 7, No man can ransom another, for the ransom of their lives is costly. But there was one, Christ Jesus. Son of God, true God, true man. He paid the price. And his death was enough to ransom us because he died as a perfectly righteous person. You see, it's Christ's perfect obedience unto death that allowed him to ransom us from death. Because his perfect life allowed him to die on the cross to pay for our sins, Christ died the death we deserved. But then Christ also went into the grave as the righteous one. And to what effect? 
It meant that the grave could not hold its grip on Christ. God the Father freed Christ from the grave because of His perfect obedience. This means that we who were held prisoners by death were set free by Christ. We've been united with Christ in His death and resurrection. So Christ going into the grave, having paid the price on the cross, ransomed us and brought us with Him into His resurrection life. He set us free already. He set us free on the strength of His merits. And that's why we make the confession we do in verse 15, God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. He will receive me. He will receive me because of Christ, Christ alone. Yes, unless Christ returns first, believers will still die. But if we enter into the grave, we fix our eyes on Christ, and in Him we can make this confession of faith. And this is also what allows us to live wisely in this life while we are still alive now. This is what frees us from pursuing that futile way of life described in this psalm that so many people are living in this world. You see, if this is our confession, and it is, why would we live only for this life? If this is our sure hope, going beyond the grave, eternal life forever. Why would we not store up treasures in heaven? We can, because of what Christ has done. I want to end by pointing out one last contrast brought out by our text. Verse 14, right before our confession in verse 15, uses some striking imagery but those who do not know Christ. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death will be their shepherd. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. If you don't have Christ in your life, you still have a shepherd. But it's a bad one. It's death. Here it describes death as leading people to the grave. They don't have the sense to turn. That will be their resting place forever. But contrast that with what we could sing at the beginning of the service. We could sing, the Lord is my shepherd. And what a change. Death is no longer our shepherd. God is. Christ Jesus is our shepherd. He is leading us to eternal life. What a comforting confession we make. Revelation 7, one of the elders spoke to the Apostle John, and he asked him, Who are these clothed in white robes? John replied, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne shelters them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together Psalm 49, stanzas 2 and 4. Mm -hmm. 